Jesus, we want to hear from you. You alone have the words of eternal life, abundant life, and that's what we want. So would you speak? Would you find us faithful to listen and to respond? Amen. Hey, everyone. So good to see you all. Everybody all right? Cool. Hey, so we, um, for the past several months, we've been in this life of Jesus uh, kind of journey. We've been reading through the Gospels together. We're just finishing up our second time through. We'll be starting our third time here in a couple of weeks. Um, we, uh, though, uh, so our, our sermon series on the, the weekend has been based around those teachings. Whatever text we've been in, we've sort of taken one of those chapters, one of those stories, and told the story and unpacked it here. Um, but two weeks ago, when we were in this space, we decided to take a little pause uh, to celebrate a very under-celebrated and underappreciated holiday in the history of the church, which is Pentecost Sunday. Uh, for me, I mentioned this last time we were together, for me, Pentecost is one of the four most important days in the history of the world. I know that sounds like hyperbole. It's not. I mean it. Four most important things that's ever happened on planet Earth. We have, uh, we have uh, incarnation, so Christmas. We have Good Friday. We have Easter, and we have Pentecost. And, and, and yes, it belongs in that group. It belongs with the rest. Because what we saw on the day of Pentecost, the first, uh, the first sort of day of Pentecost in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, was God showed up and he changed everything. Changed the way the world operated. You know, one minute things were one way, and the next minute they were, they were completely different. I, I think of, we can probably point to all sorts of historical events where the world fundamentally shifted. You know, when the, when the printing press was invented, and you went from hand copying to suddenly being able to, you know, on, that's a very small scale example. But the day of Pentecost, that's how it went. The world was one way, and then it changed. And that's what Peter, when he stands up to give the Pentecost sermon, where he's unpacking everything that's happened. You know, people are saying, what are these guys doing? Are they drunk? What's going on? Peter stood up and he said, no, this is what God promised would happen. That's what he prophesied would happen. He said, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Now, to a Jewish audience, that was mind-blowing because the way the spirit of God worked in the Jewish mindset was sort of, you look at the old stories in the Old Testament, the stories of, you know, of, of your Abrahams and your Moses and, and your Gideons and your Davids, and you look at these stories of the prophets, and it's the, the spirit of God fell on a person for a moment or for a task and that, that person was, was deemed extraordinary in the community. You know, we have, they're, they're sort of the heroes of faith. But what Peter stood up and said in front of all of these Jewish people was, hey, that's not the way it works anymore. Now, rather than being on a person for a moment, God is lavishing his spirit. Pentecost is a day of remarkable generosity where God is lavishing his spirit on all flesh. And then everybody has access to God in the way that Abraham and Moses and David and Gideon did. This is a game-changing event. And we see the fact that it was a game-changing event from what happens next. There's this sort of in the city that had just crucified Jesus a little over a month earlier. There's this massive revival. That day, 3,000 people gave their lives to follow Jesus and were baptized. And then this movement began. In this crazy, difficult setting, a setting where Jesus himself had just been killed, suddenly this movement began and began to sweep across the city. So Jerusalem was transformed over the course of the next several months. And then from there, it spread out across Judea, Samaria, and eventually to the ends of the earth. I mean, that's we're here today because God changed the world, changed the rules of the game on the day of Pentecost. It's a massively important and significant day. Um, and I think you, you look at that story in the book of Acts as that unfolds, and we look back, and, and it's so remarkable and so amazing, and then everything that continued since then, as that fire that was lit on Pentecost has continued to burn and transform the world, and you look at it, and you say, how remarkable. 
how did that happen? How is it that this group of 120 uh, followers of Jesus that didn't really know what they were doing, weren't terribly um, uh, sophisticated or charismatic or um, experienced or qualified for the task they had been given, how did they make this? Because the reality is, those 120 people changed the world. I mean, we're here to, think about how crazy that is. 2,000 years ago, something started in a small room in Jerusalem on the other side of the world. And now, here we are, 2,000 years later, speaking a different language, celebrating and worshiping the same thing. I mean, billions of people across the world, their lives have been influenced by what happened on that day. And, and we asked the question, how did it happen? And the answer is, God showed up. God showed up. The only way that any of this happened was by the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit came, and he empowered this group of people to do what they could not have done on their own. We call this book the Acts of the Apostles, and it's a terrible name for it, because it's really not the Acts of the Apostles. Yes, they, they had a part to play, but it's the Acts of the, this is a, a theologian said, it, it should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit showing up and doing the work. It's the Holy Spirit that lit the fire. It's the Holy Spirit that transformed the environment, that drew people to Jesus, that changed lives, that changed cities, that changed nations, that changed the entire earth. It's the work of God. That said, they had a part to play, though. And that's what we talked about last week. We talked about, or two weeks ago, we talked about the fact that this group of believers, they uh, were active participants in the life of the Spirit. In other words, they weren't just sort of going about their lives in their normal rhythms, their normal day-to-day -day stuff, and the Spirit just sort of broke in and said, I'm here. No, they were actively seeking Him. They had postured themselves in a way that they were ready to receive the gift of the Spirit. Last, uh, last time we were together, we talked about, uh, used the metaphor of kindling that Todd, Todd had given me. It's this idea that they, 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 were, they saw themselves as kindling for the fire. They, you know, it doesn't burn by itself. It's the work of the Spirit who lights the fire. It's, it's Him who does all of the work, the real magic here. But they prepared themselves. We talked last time how there were some postures that they engaged in that made their kindling good, that made them dry and ready to burn when the fire fell. The first thing was they had this posture of obedience to Jesus right? They, in other words, they met Jesus and they intended to do what he said. That was their default posture. You know, it wasn't just believing in him. It wasn't enough for them to say, oh, he's, he's, you know, prophet or miracle worker or rabbi or even Messiah. They had to do what he said. If he's king, it's not enough to say, oh, he's king. How great is that? No, if he's king, you got to do what he says. That's how the whole king thing works. And so they had this heart posture of obedience. They intended to obey what Jesus told them to do. Think of uh, the great story of, of turning water to wine in John chapter 2. Mary has this great line when, you know, she asked Jesus, you know, to do something about the fact that they've run out of, of wine at the wedding, and Jesus and Mary have this little thing back and forth that sounds very much like a, a son and his mother. But then she just, she sort of turns to the servants, and she offers this advice that I think is the most stunning thing that we should all hear every day, which is do whatever he says. Do whatever he tells you to do. Best advice I can give you. Do whatever he tells you to do. That was their posture. It's a posture of obedience. And beyond that, they had this posture of mission, this, po this, this kind of outward focus to their obedience, because that's how it works. A king has a mission. A king, uh, there, there's sort of a, a culture of the kingdom. There's a mission of the kingdom. So it's not a static thing to obey Jesus. It's an active thing. There's a purpose to it. You know, there's, 
This pastor, pastor of a little church up the street calls it a purpose-driven church, right? This, this kind of notion that, that we have an outward focus here, that, that our king is on the move. And to obey him means that we're on the move with him. And so they had a missional posture. They had given themselves to the work of the kingdom. And then beyond that, they had this posture of just humble dependence because they realized that the work of the kingdom was beyond them, that there was nothing they could do to do what Jesus had told them to do. Jesus had told them to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And that task, it wasn't just telling the story of Jesus, it was bearing witness to the resurrection of Jesus. In other words, bearing witness to the idea that hope is available, that there is no, uh, the death is not the end of the story anymore. That's what, they were, that's what they were called to do, to bear witness to, and they didn't have the capacity to do that. So, they assumed a posture of dependence. Instead of a posture of sort of, we've got this, we're in control, they, they, they humbled themselves and said, we need you. We need you to show up. God, if you don't show up, we have nothing. And that is kindling. We have that sort of a posture. Jesus, I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do. And I know that that telling, that, that that command that you give me is not just going to be for me. It's not just going to be about me and my internal life, but it's supposed to transform the environments, the rooms that I walk into. That that command is outward focused. It's purpose driven. I'm going to engage in that. And I know that I can't do it unless you show up. That's kindling for the work of the Spirit. And that's where they were that day, the day of Pentecost. And the Spirit fell and that dry kindling just ignited and changed the world. So what I want to tell you now, what I want to talk about today is sort of part two to this, is what did they do after that? So they had these postures that, that sort of produced this dry kindling that the Spirit lit. What happened afterwards? And that's in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. I put it up on the screens here. It says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, and everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's this amazing snapshot, this picture of the early church. As their postures that prepared for the work of the Spirit turned into practices had these postures that sort of prepared for the fire to fall, and then these practices by which they continued to feed the fire of the Spirit. Because that's a big deal, right? This is all the work of the Spirit. We can't do anything without Him. That being said, we are not passive participants in His work in us. It's, it's up to us to create an environment in which the Spirit can work. He's not going to do it. He's not going to force Himself on us. He's not going to force himself to work through us in our lives. We have to create an environment. We have to feed the fire of the Spirit on an ongoing basis. So these postures, and, and what I want to suggest here is not that this is a different sermon than the last one. These postures are no different than, the, than the, 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 these practices I'm talking about are no different than the postures that they had before. They're just sort of what it looks like on a daily basis. Right? Paul says in, in Galatians, he says that we should keep in step with the Spirit of God. In Ephesians, he said we should go on being filled with the Spirit. Go on being filled with the Spirit of God. So what they did that sort of got them into Pentecost, 
they continued to do as they sort of came out of Pentecost. It just, it just, it moved from this waiting for the Spirit of God to, well, this is what life in the Spirit looks like. These are just normal rhythms of life. I think it's really, really important that we talk about what it means to feed the fire, what it means to be an ongoing partnership with the Spirit of God in our lives. It's a big deal. They engaged in it, and here's what it looked like. I'm going to walk through this pretty quickly. Um, Each of these could probably be be its own sermon. I'm going to do this really fast. But it says, first, they devoted themselves. I love that word devoted, don't you? It means they gave themselves to. Right? I think the ESV translation says that. They gave themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. In other words, I think often we think of the Christian life as something that we sort of pick up and make a part of our stories, okay? So we have this life that we're building, and at some point we encounter Jesus, and we, we think of it in these terms, and maybe we wouldn't say it out loud like this, but we think of it like, I, I found Jesus, and I pick him up, and I bring him along with me on my life. But notice how it says it here. It says they gave themselves to. It's not that they took something along with them and added it to their lives. It's that they saw that there was a life already happening, this kingdom life that was already bursting forth. And instead of assuming that they just took a piece of that kingdom with them wherever they went, they dove into that kingdom. They gave themselves to that life. They devoted themselves to that life. It's like this. Imagine this rushing river. The rushing river is the kingdom of God. How many of us want to walk up to the river with a little thermos, you know, a little hydro flask, and we take a bit, and then we go about our days? And whenever we need it, we take a sip. You know? <laughs> and pretty soon, we find that our hydro flask is empty, and so we come back again and try to take a little bit more of the kingdom. But the call is what? Jump in the river. The river is rushing to the restoration of all things, to the healing of the nations. Get in the river and go where it goes. Don't, don't expect to take it with you where you're going. That's not how this works. They devoted themselves to, they gave themselves to the rhythms of the kingdom. Right? They didn't try on the rhythms of the kingdom. It wasn't about how do these things fit into my life. It was how do I fit my life into these things. It's the big rocks analogy, right? You guys heard this one? You have a jar and you have a bunch of rocks. You've got some big rocks, you've got some small rocks, you've got some pebbles, and you've got some sand. Well, if you start by putting the sand in and then you put some of the smaller rocks in, you have these big rocks that are never going to fit. They're just, you're not going to be able to get everything in the jar. And that's how we often treat our relationship with Jesus is we know that's important. We know that life in the spirit is important. We know that these rhythms of life and these practices are important, but we've already got this stuff going on. We've got all the sand. We've got all this, these routines. We've got all this stuff happening. And so we're constantly like trying to wedge into the jar all of these big rocks and trying to kind of stuff them down in the sand, but it never fits. It always feels ill-fitting. It's because we've got the order wrong. You start with the big rocks. You put the big rocks in first. Then you can put the small rocks in, and they sort of filter into the spaces between the big rocks. And then you put the pebbles in, and it fits, and then the sand, and the whole thing actually works when you get the order right. It's not, how do I fit these things into my life? These are the rhythms of the kingdom. This is what life in the kingdom looks like. How do I fit my life into these? How do I give myself to this kingdom, the work of this spirit? They were intentional about it. Another translation I saw said they persisted stubbornly in the apostles' teaching. That's devoted, right? They persisted stubbornly. There was an intentionality because the reality is 
this lifestyle that's described here is not going to happen naturally in this world. It's just not. This is a very devastating reality when you realize that the world is not going to make you more like Jesus. It will never happen on accident in this place. We have to be intentional. The truth is, this kingdom and this way of life are countercultural. They're different than the way life operates in this system. So in the kingdom of the world, there's sort of a way that things work. And the kingdom that God is bringing is different. Fundamentally, it has different values. It has different rhythms, and it has a different outcome. And so if we want to step into it, it's going to require an intentionality, a swimming against the stream, a saying no to things that everybody else is saying yes to. They persisted stubbornly in things, even when there are other things that they could have devoted themselves to. Truth of the matter is, the kingdom of God is aimed at nothing less than the redemption of all things. That is not the aim of the empire of this world. And if we continue to simply go about the rhythms of empire with a little hydro flask of kingdom on the side, I'm telling you, we will end up at the same place the empire is going. It's just true. We will end up wherever this world is going if we continue to live the way this world does. But if we devote ourselves to the kingdom, if we dive into the river that is rushing to the restoration of all things, that is where we will end up. That's what we'll experience and that's what we'll see. That's what they saw here. A different way of life that, yes, takes sacrifice, that, yes, you have to commit yourself to, that, yes, requires intentionality, but it's good, my friends, it's good. The end is good. The journey is good. God is in it. This is the life of the kingdom. It's the life of the spirit. We continue to fuel this fire, and as we do, we continue to burn with the spirit of God and the presence of God, and that's what we want. So what did they do? They devoted themselves to what? We're going to do this real quick. The apostles' teaching. This doesn't just mean they devoted themselves to studying the Bible. It does mean that. But it's really important that we define what studying the Bible means. The word biblical gets thrown around a lot in church. And what most people mean when they say biblical is I found it in the Bible. I want to tell you something. You can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say. Crazy. Did you know there's actually bad theology in the Bible? You read the book of Job before? There's these three friends that are awful friends, and they, they spend like 30 chapters telling Job really bad advice about God, and can I tell you I've heard that quoted in a sermon? I was like, that's in the Bible. Well, no, but it's wrong, though. You know, you don't quote that part and tell people to do it. Um, so biblical doesn't just mean I can find it in the Bible. These guys had a, a sort of a new definition of biblical, because here's the way they were taught. We read the account of what happened to them after the resurrection. It says Jesus appeared to them, and it says that he, starting in the beginning, led them through the story of Scripture and taught them everything it said concerning himself. So I want to give a kind of a quick new definition to biblical. Biblical doesn't just mean, can you find it in the Bible? It means, is it consistent with the sweep of Scripture as revealed in the person of Jesus? That's the definition of biblical. And that's what they devoted themselves to, was this whole story of God, not nitpicking the pieces they liked, but this whole story of God that they had seen with their own eyes fully realized and perfectly realized in the person of Jesus. That's what biblical means. And I want to commit on behalf of myself in this church that that's what it's going to look like in this community. When we preach, we want to preach something that's consistent 
through the whole of Scripture realized in the person of Jesus. And, this is really important, the apostles' teaching was not just teaching on the Bible generically, but teaching on the Bible specifically contextualized for a community in a certain place at a certain time. This is a big deal for me as a pastor because there's a ton of great content you can be listening to out there, and please do. I mean, please listen to good podcasts and good teachers. Like, that's fantastic. But that's not the apostles' teaching in this context. We are a part of a community, a canopy, and God has specific things to say to us in this community. And that's the teaching that we devote ourselves to. What's he saying? Not just generically, although yes, you can hear from God through amazing podcasts, through other churches, whatever else. But what's he saying to us, Canopy Church, at this place, in this time? That's why it matters that we gather together. And so what does this look like? I want to give you some practicals of what these things look like at Canopy. What does it look like at Canopy? You're you're sitting in it. This is why an all-together gathering matters. Because God has stuff to say to all of us. For this church, in this place, at this time, and it matters that we come together and listen. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the teaching of the word of God, whole story of scripture realized in the person of Jesus, contextualized in a community for a place and time. They devoted themselves to fellowship. Fellowship is a great word. The word in Greek is koinonia, which just means to the common interest. They devoted themselves to the common interest. How crazy is that? I think oftentimes when people talk about community, specifically Christians talk about community, they say something like this. I just really need community. Which is good. It's true. It's true and it's good. And we live in an isolating world, and so all of us feel that need in some ways, that lack. The reality is, though, that's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about devoting ourselves to community because we need it for ourselves. We're not talking about doing it because being a part of a community will edify our lives, although it will. What they're talking about is devoting themselves to a community that's going to cost them. Paul says it like this in Philippians. He says, each of us should look to our, not not to our own interests, but the interests of others. In your relationships with one one another, have the same attitude as Christ Jesus, who, being nature God, you know, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he humbled himself, right? Do everything without complaining or arguing, so you you may become blameless and pure. I mean, Paul is talking about this community in which we find ourselves not a part of the community so that we can meet our own needs, but so that we can meet the needs of the community. It's a different focus. I think in our mindset, we think we come to it so I can get something out of it. It's the classic, you know, John F. Kennedy. It's not what our church can do for me, so I can do for my church, right? I mean, that's, that's the reality. That's what we're talking about here. This is a community that's going to cost. You know, I, I think of this video series that got produced a while back called um, I Am Second, which I thought was really beautiful, but it's actually not true. It's not I'm second, it's I'm third, I'm, fo- I'm last. <laughs> that's the picture in community. And if that sounds terrifying, well, that's because we're thinking about it. Like, what if I serve? What if I am last? What if I don't look to my own interests? What if I don't look out for myself? Then what's going to happen to me? Well, the reality is, get this, if we're all doing it, everybody's taken care of. <laughs> If we're all seeking to serve, if we're all seeking to give and pour ourselves out, I guarantee that every person will be cared for. Every person will be served and loved. They devoted themselves to fellowship, to common interests, to common mission, to common vision, to common good. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Oh, sorry, I missed the last one. Canopy, what does that look like? It looks like house churches. Invest in the house church. Be a part 
of a community where you can devote yourself to this amazing, messy, sacrificial, generous, blessed community. And, this will sound funny, but be on Slack. I know it sounds kind of crazy, but it's a way we stay connected. It's a way that we can care for each other and, and invest in the community throughout the week when we're not seeing each other on a daily basis. All right, let's, you know, I'm not saying that technology is from God, but God can redeem anything, right? <laughs> so let's take something that has been used to distract and to, to, to sort of keep our eyes off the kingdom and use it to keep our eyes on the kingdom. It's a tool. Um, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, which means to the Lord's table. In other words, they practice on a regular basis this tradition that Jesus handed them of sitting around a table and remembering what he had done. Now, why is it important that they devoted themselves to this practice? Because the Lord's table, more than any other tradition we have, reminds us who we are. We are people who follows a crucified king. And that reality transforms the way we live our life. It enables us then, knowing that our king conquered by dying, not by killing, not by ruling from the, from the heavens, but by coming and serving with the least of these. It reminds us how we go about seeking transformation in this world. It's not top-down, it's bottom-up. It's not by conquering, it's by serving. It reorients us to what's true of ourselves and of the mission that he's given us. The Lord's table is such an integral part of our community. It reminds us on a weekly basis, because how many of you know that we need reminders on a weekly basis, a daily basis? Remember, you're living in the empire. You're living in a world system that will not function in that way. You're living in a system where things are all top-down, where it's all about authority at the highest levels, where it's all about conquest and getting what I deserve. The Lord's table, coming to it every week, it recenters us. I know that's not the way it works in this kingdom. I know. I know it's the environment you're in, but it's not the way it works in this kingdom. It's not how this king did it. So they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. What does that look like at Canopy? It means we do it every, every time we get together. We're going to do it tonight. We're going to take the time to celebrate the Lord's table together, remember who he is, what he's done for us, and then how we live in response to who he is and what he's done. They devoted themselves to prayer. We talked about this last week. I don't want to camp out on this a ton. We need to continue to devote ourselves to prayer. It's the most potent thing we can be doing. Honestly, if nothing else, and we need all of this, all of it. But if we remember nothing else, let's remember this. They prayed. They prayed, they prayed, and they prayed, and the Spirit came. And when the Spirit came, they kept on praying. They kept on asking for more. It's, it's, prayer is one of those, like, win-win-win investments, you know? It, it's investment in relationship with God that also influences our relationship with others. It also influences the mission of the church. It's like, it's one of those places where you just put your time, and that time God takes it, and he multiplies the effectiveness and the power of it. That's what he does in prayer. That those moments of communion are not just about you. It, it's, it's this breaking out of kind of this earthly system and, and the mindsets and all of the trappings around us and this investing in the kingdom of heaven. And, and, and that moment, those words that are spoken or heard have the capacity in some way to transform things. It's an investment that changes you. It's an investment that can change other people as we pray for them. It's the most loving thing we can do. This is not token when you pray for somebody. You are inviting the power of God, the power of the kingdom to break into their lives. You're carrying them to Jesus. And it's the way Jesus is going to change the world. There has never been 
to my knowledge, a powerful missional movement that has not been bathed in the prayer of the church. That's how it works. God advances his kingdom through people on their knees. What does that look like at Canopy? Still figuring it out. It means we get, when we get together, we pray. We're going to do it tonight here as well. And take the time. I know there's a kickball tournament. It's going to be awesome. Costa Mesa 2 is going to just be awesome. But, but we're going to take time to pray because it's the most effective and most powerful thing we can do. We do it when we come together here in this space. We do it when we, do it when we come together in homes. We have a night uh, called Seek First Night that will be coming up. Todd will tell you more about in a second. Um, where it's just a night of prayer and worship. We are... We had and we practiced kind of heading into Pentecost, 24-hour prayer for four days. We're going to continue to do stuff like that to be more and more of a praying church. This is how God changes the world. They devoted themselves to these practices. The story keeps on going. I know I'm, I told you I'm going to move quick, and I will, I promise. Uh, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. I love this. <laughs> I think it's so cool that part of their rhythm was awe. That part of their rhythm was miracles. You know, like that was just part of their, their life. And, and, and that wasn't something that they did. That was just God showing up and, and doing miraculous and gracious and loving things for them. But I think that they must have had a part in it. And their part, if I had to put in a word, was expectancy. They were expectant. They saw God show up and they knew he could do it. And so they asked him to do it again. And their asking wasn't like this, I wonder if he will, I hope he will. It was like, no, 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 I've seen you do it before. Like, do it again. Kingdom come again. More, Lord. That was, they prayed, they worshiped with expectancy. And so awe was a part of their rhythm. I, I want that. Anybody else? I want awe to be a part of the rhythm of our church, a normal practice that we engage in because we see God show up. And I know, my friends, I know you've seen him show up around this room. I know you have. So let's pray like we've seen it. Let's pray like I've seen the kingdom break in and I know it can, and so I'm going to ask again. Let's pray with expectancy. Let's meet and gather with expectancy. The gathering of God's people is important. When we come together in this place, it's important. The prayers that are here, heard here, that are prayed here, are effective. The songs we sing have the ability, the capacity to change the nations. Let's pray and worship and gather with expectancy. Moving on, quickly. They... Um, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Again, back to the common, the community, the common interest or fellowship thing. They were part of a common interest and common mission. And so they considered it a wise investment to put their money into that mission. I just think this is really, really important. So wise did they consider it that they were selling off ancestral land in order to invest in the mission of the church. I want to suggest something here. It's a wise investment to put your money into Canopy Church. As a matter of fact, it may be one of the wisest investments that, th that, that, that there is to invest in this community, in this outpost of the kingdom, with your time and your energy and your finances. It's a wise investment. It's a good one to make. God takes that, and he uses that money as the foundation of what he's going to do through his church. Now, I'm not suggesting that anyone needs to sell off ancestral land to give the money to Canopy. I am, however, suggesting that if we're part of this church, it makes sense for us to invest in this community with our time, with our talents, and with our resources. It does. It's a wise investment that will pay dividends. Where better to invest than in this community? 
What does it look like at Canopy? Well, you probably received a letter this last week. I'm not going to go into what it looks like, but, but it means that you consider giving from your first fruits, giving regularly, giving joyfully, and giving sacrificially to this community. We'll talk more about that in the future, but it's really, really important. If this is about the common interest and the common mission and not just about my life and my goals, then it makes sense. Moving on. <laughs> Um, every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts and broke bread and ate together in each other's homes with glad and sincere hearts. This is just a quick model thing. It's why we have two different kinds of gatherings. It's why we have an all-together gathering and why we have a house church, because there's things that happen in, in both spaces. You see, part of their rhythm was meeting in the temple courts and then meeting in homes. That was part of their regular rhythm. The temple courts was a gathered space. It was a large community space where there was room for expectant worship, where there was all sorts of stuff that could happen. There was an environment that had been cultivated by a group of people who were tasked with overseeing the worship of God's people that you could come into expectant and receive in that place and invest in that place. But it wasn't enough just to come to a big gathered community. It wasn't enough to sort of be a face in a crowd. They also then expressed their community in homes, around tables, Canopy, this is, this is really important to us too. It's not simply about a large gathered community where you're kind of anonymous and a face in a crowd, but it's also not simply about a home. It's both. It's in the overlap of the two that church happens and life happens. We have expectant worship all together. We have community around the table. And that's a rhythm, a practice to which they devoted themselves. Said so they ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Just throwing this out there. What would it look like for thanksgiving and gratitude and praise to be a part of our rhythm? Just on a daily basis, on, a, on an hour-by-hour hour basis, find something. Find something to thank God for. God, I am breathing right now. I am so grateful. I have, a, I have a professor in college who says, every time I look out and I see the trees and I see the sky, I see that green on blue, I just hear the Holy Spirit say, I'm having so much fun and I'm just grateful. It doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be. Just find something to be grateful for. The rhythm of the empire, entitlement, never satisfied more and more and more. The rhythm of the kingdom is, oh my gosh, oh my God, how good you are how much you lavish yourself on your kids. And then finally, it says, and every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. How cool is that? Anybody want that to be a part of our rhythm? <laughs> a part of our practice where we're seeing people being saved added to our numbers daily. Daily! I'm not talking about monthly or yearly. I'm talking about daily. People coming in and saying, I don't know what's happening, but I want it. And notice who, who added. It wasn't their strategies. It wasn't even their practices. It was the Holy Spirit. He said, oh, this community, oh, this community, they are feeding the fire. I can trust them with my lost kids. It's part of their practice. Tell you what, I, um, I was preparing the sermon, and I got super discontent with the sermon because I realized that it was a 10-point sermon. <laughs> and I've got this personal philosophy that I should never preach more than a one-point sermon because I'm pretty simple, and I don't want it to be more, I want one thing to remember. So I was like, man, I'm going to stand up there, I'm going to talk about 10 different things, and every, like, if I look at people's notes, it's going to be all over the board. But I realized it's not 10 different things, the call. It's one. It's be a part of a community where all that stuff's happening. That's it. This is not about a whole bunch of practices that we are supposed to incorporate in our individual lives. This is about be a part of a culture where this stuff is normal. 
And that's what we want to do here. That's the kind of church we want to build. It's a church where we are just continuing to fuel the fire. The Spirit has fallen. He has done amazing things. But we are not content with yesterday's stories, with yesterday's presence and yesterday's power. His mercies are new every morning. We want more. (laughs) Over the last year, if I had to summarize my journey, my personal journey, Todd asked me at one point about six months ago, what's your philosophy, your vision for church? I think if I had to summarize it in one word, it would be that. I want more. There has to be more, God. More community. More redemption and transformation. More power. More love. More life. I want more. And that's why I came to this church, because I felt a kindred spirit. I felt an overlap when I talked to people in this community. That's why this church exists, because there has to be more. Jesus came, he said, to give abundant life, and we don't want to settle for anything less. So his fire has fallen in this place. He's done amazing things, and now, my friends, let's continue to feed it. Let's continue to feed it just to pour our lives into the fire, devote ourselves, and see what happens. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we want more. We want more of you. It's not that you haven't given all of yourselves. Maybe I should say, Holy Spirit, take more of us. Take it all. Our lives, our dreams, our ambitions, our church. Jesus, take our church. Do whatever you want. I pray in this moment. Every person sitting here would just feel that desire for more. Hunger for more of what you're doing, God. Just take a couple seconds and have that conversation with them. If any of this resonates, if you're feeling that, like, I just want abundant life. I want purpose. I want power and presence. Just, Just ask him. Ask him if there are parts of your heart or your life where you realize it hasn't been devoted. Offer it up. Whatever he's saying, let's do this with this response time. (laughs) Let's go back to Mary's advice in John 2. Whatever he's asking of you right now, just do it. Whatever he's telling you to pray, pray it. Whatever he's telling you to give, give it. Jesus, we devote ourselves to you. We are yours. Canopy is your church. We want to see your kingdom come.